0: Well, good morning, everybody. Praise God. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I'm so glad you're here. Whether you've come online, all over the world, from wherever you've come from, welcome. I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. This is Gospel Saving Church. Whether you're in my home, welcome. Whether it's your first time here, your first time listening to me, wherever, welcome, 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 welcome. welcome. I'm glad you're here. I hope you came here to learn the truth. Because God here at this church, we stand on real biblical truth. We teach the Bible 100%. I don't get into fables. I don't get into too many stories outside the Bible. I speak about stories about the Bible and about my experiences with the Bible and with, you know, working for God. But I don't get into fables or, or you know, kind of foolishness. We teach the Bible, so I hope that's why you're here to hear the truth. Because I'm not an entertainer. I'm a teacher of the truth of the Word of God. And this is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days. And this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. Praise God, I'm so glad you're here. We always start with a prayer to ask God to help us understand His Word. So if you please join me, uh, as we need His Holy Spirit to enlighten us and help us and change us and change our minds about things that we need our minds changed on and to bring us to God. Lord, we thank you so much for bringing us here today. We thank you so much, Lord God, for all those that are listening to this message right now. And we, we thank you, Lord, for all those, me- all those that will listen to this message until whenever Christ returns. Lord God, whenever that would be the, the time that no man knows. Lord, we, we thank you, Lord God, that this church is, stands for biblical truth. Lord God, we don't teach fables. We don't teach lies. We don't, we don't just give the candy of your word, Lord. We, we teach all the truths, the hard truths and, and the cool truths and, and the awesome truths and, and the wonderful truths. Lord, we, just, we touch on them all. God, thank you so much that we do do that. There's not that many um, ministers out there. There's not that many churches out there that will still teach these ways. So, Lord, we uh, we do thank you for bringing us here. We, we pray that you would help us understand your word, help us understand your Holy, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, the things that you have to say to us today. And I do pray as I've been praying, Lord, this week, Lord, as Lord I speak, Lord, forget about me. I don't want people to think about me or anything about me. I want people to know you. I want people to hear you, Lord. And I pray that you, Lord, would change people's hearts through, Lord, what we talk about today and the things, your truths, Lord God, that we speak on in this message today. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you. And we ask all these things in the mighty and precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we're going to be in a split section. Okay, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 22, the last verse of that chapter, Acts 22 verse 30. And then you either flip over or go over. I don't know however your Bible is designed, but we're going to be then in Acts 23 verses 1 through 10. So Total of about 10 or 11, 12 verses there, or So, but just in two chapters. We haven't done that too many times, but in this case, that's the way the kind of scenes fell, and that's the way when God was giving me the messages, that's kind of how things fell. I'll give you a moment to open your Bibles and get there before we start reading and our study our Bible. Uh, the title of today's message is... Big surprise, because it's not what I said last week. The title is A Head Scratching Trial. That's the title of today's message. Uh, I I have today right now, real quick, for those that listen every week, those that are here with me every week, come every week, I have to apologize. I made a little bit of an oops from last week's teaching. I had said that the title was going to be A Question to Divide because Paul does say something that does divide his audience. We're going to get there in Acts chapter 23. But unfortunately, I didn't look in depth enough before I made that statement. It was just a statement to divide, not a question to divide. So sorry, I apologize. It's hence why that's not the title of today's message. Anyway, God's given me a completely different idea to teach on this week. So let's get to it, and uh, let's read the Word of God and study the Word of God. Acts 22... Verse 30, start there again, then flop over to Acts 23, 1 through 10. I'm going to read them all now, and then we're going to look at them. Acts twenty-two thirty. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Acts 23, 1 through 10, if you could turn your page, flip over your eyes, whatever. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Verse 2. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law. And do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Verse 5. As a big question mark there. That's a huge question that they asked him. like Kind of a surprise question. Verse 5. Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Verse 6. But when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. And for Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, an angel or a spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest least Paul might be pulled apart uh, to pieces by them, The commander, uh, he commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. Last week, we read of how the Romans, or how the Jews were going to beat Paul, right? So the Roman commander uh, wanted to find out why they wanted to kill him. So he goes in there, he kind of snatches Paul up, takes Paul, gets him safe, right? Remember, nobody gets as angry as the Jews did with Paul, angry enough to kill him unless the accused has something has done something really wrong, I and mean, it's just common sense. And the commander comes to the conclusion that Paul is guilty, <laughs> and it's completely logical that he does do that because anyone that's what anyone would come to. Nobody's going to get as angry with somebody and try to kill them unless they've really done something really, 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 really wrong. And so the commander. He's trying to find out what's going on with Paul. Why are they trying to kill him? What's his guilt? And so he's doing all this stuff. Remember, the commander in his shoes, he couldn't just ask Paul what he did wrong uh, so that the Jews wanted to kill him. And Why? Well, anybody that's accused, if you ask the accused, well, what did you do wrong? You know, why, did, why were they trying to kill you? Of course, they're going to what? They're going to proclaim their innocence. Nobody's gonna. Nobody that's really, truly guilty is going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, I killed one of their best friends. Because he knows as soon as he says that, the commander's going to say, all right, he admitted it, he's on record, go execute him, that's it. So whatever he did wrong, now, Paul was innocent. But generally, in anybody's situation, if anybody's guilty, you can't just ask the guilty party because they're going to say they're innocent, of course. Everybody does that, right? So, so the Roman commander was going to beat him to get the truth out of Paul, because remember, pain is a good motivator, and it's a good way to make someone tell the truth, it's a good way to make someone admit that they're guilty, even when they may not want to, because even though, hey, I'm going to say I'm innocent, as the beatings keep going, and as the pain increases, they're like, well, they're going to beat me to death, I might as well tell the truth, right? Uh, but Scripture told us, remember, that Paul, knowing the Jew, knowing the Roman law, decides to give them a question to defend himself, and it works. Verse 25, he says this, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Brilliant question from a brilliant man. His question did indeed work and it defended him because in verse 29 it says that the commander and all the soldiers and the centurions backed away from him and praised God for Paul's deliverance, that God gave him this question of defense that actually defended him. And they, they, they could not because Roman law said that they weren't allowed to beat or, or you know, condemn a Roman citizen unless they'd had a trial Uh, Again, just like last week, questions can be very powerful if asked in the right way with the right info. Now, that was good for Paul in the last part, right? Under the last section, with the last bit of information, is he out of hot water? Is he out of the hot water of the Jews wanting to kill him? Is he safe? Heavens no. Paul seemed pretty guilty to the commander, so he had to have a what to figure out if he was guilty? He had to have a trial, The head-scratching trial, verse 30, let's start there. The next day, let's start reading. The next day, because he, that would be the Roman commander, wanted to know for certain why he, that would be Paul, was accused by the Jews. He, then the Roman commander now, released him from his bonds. So basically, he took the handcuffs off, probably took the shackles off his feet, and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear. Brought Paul down set him before them. The commander decides to give him a trial before the Jews and their leaders who had judged him, remember, guilty enough to try to kill him. This Roman commander, though, was no dummy in how he decides to give Paul a trial before his accusers that wanted to kill him. He, number one, commanded the chief priests and all their counsel. Commanded means that they had no choice, that they Had to come to this trial, and the trial was the scripture just said the next day. What is it? Why is that important of it being the next day? Well, he could have had it that day, but he chose the next day. Why? Well, hopefully, I'm sure, or I'm thinking that the commander hopefully was thinking, hey, the next day tempers and you know, angers might be a little cooled off. You know, they they've had now a night to think about. You know, when you're angry and you sleep on it, a lot of times you wake up the next morning and you know you realize, oh. Was I really as right to get as angry as I did? And then a lot of times the next morning, you know, the anger has abated. The Bible says we're not supposed to go to bed angry. But if we do do, which is not what God wants, but if we do do a lot of times in the morning we wake up, I know had, it happened to me a lot of times. Why was I so angry yesterday? Oh, you know, stupid. And then I, I'm just often meant to let it go, unless I've let it go before I went to bed, like the Bible says. Anyway, the next day, and lastly, the thirdly, he commands them to appear. So, which means that he didn't just go where they were, he commanded them to appear, which means that he wanted them to come to a place of his. Choosing, which would mean that the place he told them to appear was in a what? What would the commander want hope for? Well, he wasn't just going to let the Jews kill Paul because he could have already done that. The place that he wanted them to come was in a controlled setting, a setting where he could make sure at any time and point that if anything happened, hey, he could say, guys, go and get him and he'd be safe, just like the first time. The place, though, the commander told them to appear was either an indoor room. Uh, close to one of their Roman headquarters or or outdoors in the immediate area, just outside one of their headquarters or barracks near their headquarters. And we know it was near one of their headquarters because verse 10 of this chapter, will be there in a little while, uh, excuse me, verse 10 of, chapter 23 the next chapter will be there in a little bit tells us that the jews get angry with paul again and the commander and his it tells his troops to go get him and bring him into their barracks and we know that their barracks isn't just going to be out in the random open it's going to be either the barracks was the headquarters or the barracks was near the headquarters so that's where they were that's what the commander tells them to do so so the trial for paul was the next day in a controlled environment so now the commander can figure out what's really wrong with paul why is paul guilty look at how this trial goes you might be wondering what the heck is that title a head-scratching trial well here's where it gets very interesting acts 23 we're going to be, begin reading in verse 1 let's look at how this trial goes then paul looking earnestly at the council said men and brethren pretty nice right men and brethren it's not disrespectful men and brethren i have lived in all good conscience before god until this day he simply addresses his audience in a respectful way seemingly right men and brethren and and hey i've lived before god with all good conscience that that means hey our god the god i love too i've been a good boy I've, I've kept God's ways. I, I, I've got a good conscience. I'm not convicted that I'm a, a, a rank sinner. I haven't broken the Ten Commandments. I, I live to please God. That's basically what he told them. Men and brethren, pretty good start. Next, look at how he addresses his audience in a seemingly respectful way. Look at verse 2. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. What? Why would the high priest, Ananias, have commanded those around Paul to hit him or strike him on the mouth? That seems pretty rude, really downright evil, doesn't it? Well, Paul seems to think so, and he even speaks his mind about it. Look at verse 3. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? Paul was angry. He felt, hey, what reason do they have to strike me? What did I do wrong? I kept all of God's laws. I I, I spoke to them respectfully, and God's law says you don't punish somebody for doing right. The only somebody gets punished is if they do wrong, right? So you can't blame blame him for feeling this way and speaking his mind about it. Uh, The commander of the Romans, though, has him there for a supposed fair trial, and and here he is speaking to all of his accusers in a seemingly respectful way, and out of nowhere he gets struck on the mouth or hit on the mouth. It it really doesn't seem fair, does it? Not really. It doesn't seem fair, but... Shockingly, and this is kind of where we'll start the head scratching on our message here. Actually, the the uh, high priest here, Ananias, has grounds to command the strike on Paul. He probably didn't have to strike him as hard. Then you know he probably didn't have to say strike him on the mouth. He probably just could have said you know knock it, knock him in the head or something. You know, say hey, what's going on, knucklehead? What, you know, what, what, whack. You know, but but I okay, can remember. The Jews had no love for Paul at all. And so, um, you know, terrible thing, but it happened. He had grounds to order it. Maybe it shouldn't have been as tough, but he did what he did. No love. But what did Paul do wrong? Head-scratching, right? What did Paul do wrong with men and brethren, right? Let's keep reading, and we'll get to that. So after Paul lashes out at these Jews with some pretty harsh language for striking him on the mouth, they respond surprised with, Uh, verse 4, And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? So, contextually, reviling the high priest, we know what Paul just said. (laughs) You whitewashed wall. uh, Do you revile God's high priest? In in context kind of translated like this, Do you think that you're supposed to speak the high priest of our religion with respect? I mean, he is the high priest after all. What... What are you doing? How, why do you think it's okay to speak to him like that? Because you just spoke evil of him. I mean, that's pretty harsh. And God's law, God's word does say, don't speak evil of the high priest. And Paul, although he was angry with the high priest, he could have chosen a little bit better, you know, a little bit easier words to tell this man that he didn't really like what he had him do. Paul's offense here. Uh, we'll get to it in a minute. Verse 2 just told us that Ananias, the high priest, was plainly in the room. Uh, but and if you're wondering, maybe Paul's offense, uh, if you're wondering, Paul's offense and why he received the strike was because, uh, number one, he didn't reverence or give any reverence or, or address the high priest with any kind of respect. Uh, he didn't uh, address the high priest with any admiration or or special you know kudos, oh, you know, to the great high priest, you know, which was expected as he was the spiritual head of the Jewish entire religion. The, they respond with, hey, what the heck is wrong with you when he speaks that way? Because they can't believe that Paul actually spoke to a high priest the way he did. He, even people that you know weren't very religious wouldn't speak to the high priest the disrespectful way that Paul did. Uh, the high priest, think of it, sat in Aaron's see aaron was the first high priest aaron was moses's brother that's how kind of highly exalted this special position in the jewish faith was and as much as it seemed like what paul did was not an offense it was actually a quite bad one today for most people now i i say for most people now if you're in america and you listening to this message if the president of the united states of america or the catholic pope walked into the room Most people would stand and rise and honor these men for their exalted positions, right? Most people. Now, I'm saying all. I know that our president right now has a lot of problems and people have, you know, come against him in strong ways. But most people, a lot of people would rise and give these men some high adoration, right? Well, same with the Jewish high priests in Judaism for, you know, in, in, in the Jewish faith, right? Up to this point now, pretty easy info, info to understand, right? I mean, I'd say so. You know, Paul starts his message. Kind of a little confusing. The high priest strikes him, but why? We're going to get to that. But we see Paul's offense. He didn't really speak to him with that respectful. So, you know, pretty easy info so far. But look at what comes next, because here's where we get to our big-time, head-scratching, confusing stuff. Look at Paul's response to finding out the high priest was there. Look at verse 5. Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Paul responds in a seemingly, completely illogical way, doesn't he? Right Paul there admits that he was wrong, and he admits that he was deserving of the strike. and you actually can hear in his voice the, the connotation of, "Wow, hey, you know, I'm, I'm you know, hey, I'll, hey, I know I'm not supposed to do that. Okay, hey, even the word of God says, you shall not." So he admits that he's wrong, and he kind of, in a way apologizes for what he said, right? But the head scratching, confusing idea there is this. How in the world does Paul not know that the high priest of the whole Jewish religion was within a close proximity to himself? In any normal situation, him not knowing this is completely illogical. Uh, Remember, they were all in just a group of people. They weren't like in some huge auditorium where the people were sitting so far out because the high priest basically spoke to the people next to Paul. He didn't yell at them. He said, "Strike him on the mouth, like I would, like I'm speaking to you right here." Well, if you're that far from one another, yeah, that that words, those words, non-raising our voice. There was no explanation point in the scripture. There was no indication that he was yelling across a big, you know, theater filled with thousands of seats to try to talk to those standing next to Paul. They were in a pretty close proximity to one another. Again either in a small outdoor gathering around the Roman kind of commander, command center or barracks, or in a room that was near the barracks, again, a controlled setting. If you may be thinking, you answer your question, because I, I actually might have thought the same thing, if you think that Paul was being disrespectful on purpose, I disagree with that idea, because in verse five, there again, he just apologizes for what he said. If he said what he did on purpose, nobody apologizes for something they say on purpose. Okay, Paul's response in this setting, close knit, in this context, is completely illogical. Hence, the response of those that obeyed Ananias and struck him in verse four. They said they were shocked. Well, what are you, what, what are you doing? How do you, you, you think it's okay to talk to the high priest that way? Uh, so. Paul's response, and again in this setting, is completely and utterly illogical. Under normal circumstances, which these were pretty normal, his response doesn't make any sense. How could Paul not know that the high priest of the Jewish religion was near him, especially considering God pointed this out to me just Thursday or Friday. I was like, whoa, Lord, I never even saw that. Verse 1, go back to verse 1 of chapter 23. Look at verse 1. It says that Paul looked earnestly at the council which means he kind of gazed at them like you know like he was like examining them (laughs) now wait a minute how could paul be near the high priest and look earnestly at those whom he's speaking with including the high priest and not see this highly exalted man who would have stuck out like a sore thumb right there in front of him how could he do that that was illogical how could he how did he then not know he's there why do I say the high priest stuck out like a sore thumb? Well, because he, he kind of was a special, highly exalted guy from God. So he, God told the high priest way back in Aaron's time to wear special, distinct garments. He was to wear a linen ephod. He was to wear a, wear a huge breastplate, a big square in the middle of his chest that had all these bright, beautiful stones. That each stone represented, a, a, you know, one of the tribes of Israel. He had a huge beautiful head covering and he had c- clothes that were covered from all over the place they were striped and colored with gold foil. He wasn't a guy that you'd be like, "Oh, that's him." He'd be a guy that let's let's say he was in a parade. Uh, oh, he in, in a crowded parade, people a mile away, people would go, "Oh, look. It's just like the Pope. Pope in a parade. The Pope kind of like I think he got where he did and how he dresses the way he does from the way that God told the high priest to dress in the in the the judaist faith okay that that's just kind of like the catholicism is like judaism but kind of repackaged with just a little bit of jesus and so so if you can imagine the pope this is what the high priest looked like of his day. He There was no mistaking this guy from head to toe. All of his garb completely set him apart from the rest of the Jews, even from the rest of the Jews that would have been in the same room or the same area with Paul. The high, pri- high priest was a pretty unmistakable dude, again, even in large settings. The high priest, again, wore all these special clothes because God commanded the high priest to do so way back From Aaron on down all the way to this guy now. So again, our head-scratcher here, hence the head-scratching trial, or a head-scratching trial of the title of the sermon. How could Paul not know he was there considering the info I just gave you? That's pretty strange. I mean, think about it. Why would he not have acknowledged, he apologized once he realized it, But then now, you know, how did he ever, how did he not know? Well, under normal circumstances, which is, this one seemed pretty normal, Paul should have known he was addressing the Jewish religious leaders as well as the high priest, but he didn't. Why? Well, before I address the why and kind of help us figure out our head-scratching trial here, uh, I have another head-scratcher for you in this section that lines up with the high priest situation, starting in verse 6. I'm going to go through 6 through 10, and I'm going to just talk about the way the trial plays out and how it ends, and then I'm kind of going to go back so just be prepared because I don't want to lose our track once I get on the answer for why, why it's a head-scratching trial, what the answer to the head-scratching trial is. I want to be able to finish the Scripture and then keep our minds on track. So look at verses 6, and I'm going to go through it, and then we're going to read 6 through 10 pretty kind of quickly. So verse 6 says this, But when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee and he claims there that even after he was a Christian notice that he was still a Pharisee because you know a Pharisee is a Pharisee. He knew the law, he knew the ways of God. he had the PhD in Judaism and that's he was still a Pharisee and then he says, I am, was this, I am the son of a Pharisee, which means that his father was a Pharisee, or he may be claiming about his you know father in the faith that was the you know his father a Pharisee. Concerning he says, the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. So he just said there, hey guys, I believe that there's life after death. I believe in God, and I believe that not only is there life after death, but I believe that after we die... The Bible says that God's going to take us no matter where we are. He's going to take our bodies and he's going to at some point bring up our bodies and we're going to be resurrected in a special body up to heaven. And he's basically saying, just as I believe the Bible says so. Now, not sure you picked up on the second head scratcher idea for today, but before I reveal it again, I'm going to address the whole section. Already realizing then after he says this, that the trial isn't going well because of the incident with the high priest and having being struck, Paul makes a statement that he knows. Here's your statement to divide. He gives a statement to divide to get himself out of deep the deep water he's in and divide his audience, which was a good thing for them. He says to both the Pharisees and Sadducees that were there, men and brethren. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a son of a Pharisee concerning the hope of resurrection. I'm being the you know judge uh, of the dead resurrection of the dead I am being judged why does this statement divide them and get him out of the hot water that he was already seeing himself get in look at verses 7 through 9 I'm going to speak on just a little bit and when he had said this a dissension arose between the Pharisees and Sadducees and the assembly was divided this is the statement to divide this is the one that he needed to get him out of hot water verse 8 here's the why It divided them, for Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or no spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. You see, the Sadducees say that there's no resurrection, no angel, no spirit. They only take as their authoritative word of God Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books. They don't take any of the prophets, they don't take any of David, they don't take any of the the judges, they take none of that. So they get all their doctrine from the first five books of the Bible, of the Jewish Bible and of the Christian Bible. Again, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And there, they believed, through their study of those five books, that there was no such thing as a resurrection, or an angel of God, or a spirit of God. I don't know which five books that they were reading for their five books, because I mean we still have their five books, and I mean you could see all of those things, and even Jesus points it out later in another section of scripture in, in, in the gospels that you that he did see that there was a angel and a spirit and a resurrection, but they just didn't see it. And so that was their stance. That's kind of they were kind of I'll say stuck on stupid. Now, while the Pharisees, I think they were stuck on stupid too because they wouldn't accept Christ, but the Pharisees at least, which Paul was a Pharisee, at least they, they took see the whole council of the whole Old Testament Word of God or the whole Jewish Bible. They, from Genesis to the very, you know, right before Matthew, Malachi or... You know, I forget that last book, but it, he they, they believed and the Pharisees believed in all of those books. And they formulated from all of those books, all the books of their whole Bible, that there was a resurrection and that there was an angel of God and that there was a spirit of God. And so what Paul does here, his brilliant plan, because he was a brilliant dude, what his plan was to do here is his plan was to, to divide him with a statement that he knew would divide him, and what he did was, was brilliant, he took their attention off of what he had done, which really wasn't an offense, he preached Jesus Christ. Well, Paul gave this statement to divide because he knew that these guys had been arguing about this whole thing, about this whole resurrection, no resurrection, no angel, no angel, spirit, no spirit. They had been arguing about that since practically the, the times that they were, you know, the Sadducees were formed and, and the Pharisees were, you know, kind of the older and the Pharisees actually are still. So the Sadducees were just for a little time, by the way. And so, anyway, uh, he, Paul brought up a bigger enemy. Than himself, that he knew was a bigger part for them. They were going to get into an argument over that versus what he had done. He knew he picked the bigger enemy than himself. Does it work? Does his plan work? Look at verses 9 and 10. Then there arose a loud outcry. And the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And so, basically, the Pharisees were on his side. He says, Hey, I'm being judged for this resurrection that I believe in. And, you know, this basically Christ from the dead and going to bring us back from resurrection, But which was the core problem of what he was being judged for. And the Pharisees were like, Well, hey, he's, he's, not, he's not guilty. He's innocent. But, of course, the Sadducees, they still got a problem because they didn't like that idea. So now there arose a great dissension. And then, obviously, because the Sadducees didn't agree, and the commander, fearing least Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force among them and bring him into the barracks. Again, the closed situation, that they were near to the Roman base, the Roman command center, where the Romans were, so that they could easily get Paul in case there was a problem. And there was a problem. Paul was brilliant and gets himself out of hot water today. What Paul does here by dividing these guys and getting, keeping himself safe is exactly what Jesus Christ said he should do, Matthew 10, 16. Jesus said this, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Paul didn't do anything wrong. Paul just used his wise as a serpent intellect to divide these guys on an issue or an enemy that was greater than himself because he saw, hey, this isn't really going good at all for me. <laughs> Paul was a brilliant guy. Praise God. He's out of this you know, bad situation. He's now in the barracks. Um, but uh, here's, we got to go back to our head scratcher. We're going to move on. Next week is going to be a sermon on prayer. The Lord's kind of put it on my heart. We're not going to have the same. Uh, we're not going to go verse by verse. We're going to take a deviate for a week. But but finishing this message off, you see, Paul had to be especially wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove because For Paul, especially since the road to Damascus, he had to be this way uh, because of situations like this where people wanted to kill him. Especially since uh, that Damascus road experience or after, I believe that he had been working with a little bit of a disadvantage. Which, a disadvantage that I think you'll see plainly, hint, hint, see plainly when we get back to the first part of verse 6 and look at the second head-scratcher that I talked about earlier. First part of verse 6 and the second head-scratcher. Look at what that verse says again. Verse 6. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees. Why is that important? I hope you'll see. The second head-scratcher is almost identical concerning the high priest being in the audience near him, but Paul not knowing it, even though God had given him a special way to dress with specifically highly noticeable clothing. Why is the first part of verse 6 a second head-scratcher along with the first part of of verse 6? But when Paul perceived that one one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, remember, verse 1 told us that Paul looked earnestly at the council... Yet here now, just in verse 6, after he'd been talking to him for a while, after the incident with the high priest happened, after all of that, he's been in the room now, you know, five minutes or so, he just now realizes that one part of his audience was made up of one sect of Judaism, and another part of his audience was made up of another sect of Judaism, Sadducees and Pharisees how is this logically possible similar to the high priest clothing wise like in that genre all the sadducees and pharisees and paul's audience would have been dressed up in special highly noticeable clothing that purposely screamed out to people that they were of certain special sex of their religion. Each one of the groups that were right there with Paul in close proximity to him all had noticeable clothing that was different from one another so that you could walk down the street as a normal Jew and know, hey, I'm passing a Sadducee I'm passing a Pharisee. Sadducees, you see, wore clothing that was very similar to the high priest as they were part of the 71-member Sanhedrin. That was a special court of spiritual leaders in ancient Israel. Uh, One was the high priest, and the other 70 were made up of regular priests, like lower priests than the high priest, and Sadducees. Sadducees wore clothing that was similar to the high priest, but not quite as extravagant. Uh, Easy, though, to tell a priest or a Sadducee apart from a Pharisee and super, 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 super easy and plain as the nose on your face, easy to tell a Sadducee apart from a normal Jew. As a normal Jew had, you know, one clo- one piece of clothing on. It was like a dress. They called it a tunic. And they had sandals. They had no special garments. They had no special colored garments. They were a poor jew and so poor jews you know a lot of poor jews they just dress in a basic dress and a poor jew could easily tell most paul at this point was a pretty poor jew he could easily tell or he should have been able to easily tell that the sadducees were there because they had a special type of dress Pharisees, on the other hand, wore very extravagant clothing that well set them apart also. Several layers of tunics, several layers of outside clothing, all very colorful, striped, black and white. They they wore a special head covering too. It was like a very fancy head covering. Again, causing it to well set them apart as Pharisees. And way different clothing than a normal Jew or even a Sadducee would wear. Now again, similar to the high priest clothing-wise, our head-scratcher here, all the Sadducees and Pharisees in Paul's audience would have been dressed up in super special, highly noticeable clothing that purposely screamed out loud that they were special religious people and made it easy for anyone to recognize which group they belonged to anywhere they went, and especially considering here that they were all within close proximity to Paul and the fact that he looked earnestly at them In verse 1, thinking about all the facts that I've presented so far, how is it logically possible for Paul to not have recognized all the different types of the super-religious people that were in his audience from the very beginning as he looked earnestly at them before he even began to address them? Taking all the information and details of Paul's situation, the only answer we are forced to accept logically because you gotta use logic when you read the Bible. So many people throw logic out the window and they just read it for whatever, but you gotta look at the Bible and you gotta read it logically. Logically and exegetically. Exegetically, it, it means that you read the scriptures And whatever they say to you, you pull out of them things that they say, and you formulate an idea from what the Scripture says. You don't go inside into the Scriptures going, Oh, you know, I'm going to believe this about this, because then that's eisegesis, eisegetical, and that's heresy. So the only logical and exegetical reasons we have here, the conclusion we have to make, the answer our two head-scratching questions for today, is to say that obviously Paul had a disadvantage or I'll say a disability. That disadvantage or disability was that he had a problem with his eyes and his eyesight so that he didn't really see that well. in fact, I believe that Paul might have been partially blind. Some people believe that during that Damascus Road experience where Christ came and he saw Christ and Christ blinded him, that after Christ healed him later on with Ananias, a a, a man of God there, that God never really fully healed his eyes perfectly, but just that he could see that was going to be one of the ways that, remember God told Paul, uh, Ananias, go tell him and show him all the ways that he must suffer for my name's sake. So that's, that's one idea. Some say that during one of Paul's beatings or stoning, his eyes were injured. Now, I wouldn't recommend watching a stoning. You can find them if you're pretty, you know, if you just type it in, the Internet's a scary place. So I don't don't advise you to watch a stoning, but I will say this. That one has a little bit of weight to it because usually when people are stoning someone, the rocks go for their head. Well, where are your eyes? Your eyes are in your head. So easily during one of his stonings, some, again, some say, I kind of maybe lean that way too, some say that during one of his stonings or his beatings that his eyes were injured and that God never really healed him, that he let him you know, go on that way again to suffer for his name's sake, one of the ways that he would. But no matter why Paul couldn't see well, his eyes here again logically definitely were a disadvantage or a disability, as he could not see his audience, and they were in a close proximity to one another, and that's what the scripture showed us here. And there's no other way. The next day would have represented he would the, the, the commander would have not held the meeting at midnight or, or you know two o'clock in the morning where it was super dark and there were three candle you know candles in the audience. Even if he would have. The candlelight would have glinted off the high priest's gold on his uniform, on his dress, and nobody wore uniforms or nobody wore clothing with gold foil on them. I mean, even at that, that basic one. Uh, Anyway, the whole section of Scripture here screams out loud that sadly Paul did have a disability. Paul had a disadvantage, and I hope you can clearly see this. Hint, hint, get the pun. It's obvious here. Paul even admits that he had some really difficult things going on. 2 Corinthians 12, 5 through 10, he says this, Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast. Paul even admitting there, I am nothing special. Because he wasn't. He was a, well, we'll get to that. He says, except in my infirmities, is what he said, he would boast. Infirmities are illnesses or problems with your physical body that he had. Again, Paul went through a lot of garbage. And he went through a lot of beatings and a lot of, a lot of difficult things. And so he he said, I'll boast in my infirmities. right? But in myself, I won't boast. Verse 6, for though I may desire to boast, I will not be a fool. For I speak the truth, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Verse 7, and least I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, meaning God had spoken to him in a great way, and which he had. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. It's easy when you hear a lot of good things from God. It's easy when you when God gives you a lot of information to kind of become puffed up. God said, Hey, I'm not gonna let you become puffed up, Paul. I'm gonna allow you to have some problems. I'm going to, you know, in fact, there's going to be this messenger from Satan and I'm going to allow him to hurt you. I'm going to allow him to, you know, do some things to you that, you know, like kind of like a Job kind of thing. Verse 8, concerning this thing, Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in you weakness. And so it, it, Paul was a weak man. He was a weak he wasn't a weak minister for Christ. We'll get to that later, but he was a weak kind of beggarly, kind of thin, frail man. Uh, therefore he goes on to say, "Most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, That I am strong. People even spoke of Paul in a physical way, and they described him physically, 2 Corinthians 10, 8-11. He admits it. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. Least I seem to terrify you by my letters. Verse 10, here's the interesting part. For his letters, they say, he, now he's talking to them about letters that he had heard people had written about him. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Even he admits that they were saying, hey, his bodily presence is weak. Nothing really that special about Paul's appearance. He, he wasn't an Adonis. You know, figure. He wasn't a, a muscular man that was a bodybuilder that was a, where he went, he towered over everybody. He was had a weak appearance, right? Uh, verse 11, let such a person consider this, that what we are in word and letters uh, when we are absent, such we will be indeed when we are present, meaning that he's going to be just as powerful in presence and his, just his presence, not his bodily appearance, but him being there. For we all know through all the things that Paul, uh, that Luke wrote about Paul and in Paul's own letters that Paul was not a wimp when it came to telling the truth. And he wasn't a wimp either when it came to taking a beating for Jesus Christ. The guy took more beatings. We'll get to that in a second or in a little bit. But he took more beatings for the Lord Jesus Christ, which is a brave man. He's a strong man. He, wasn't, he didn't look very special, but it's not what looks like. It's in the heart. And that's where Paul... Had it uh, his eyes, his eye trouble though couldn't be more evident than from what he says to the Galatians in Galatians four twelve through fifteen. Listen to what he says, brother, and I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of my physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that, listen to this, for I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Well, why would he have said that unless one of his infirmities was his eyes? They wanted to see a hole. Paul. I'm sure if, if, if Paul was here today, we would love to see, uh, I'd be praying for his healing. He was probably that kind of guy. He would always be praying for his healing because he always had some, these infirmities going on in his body. Oh God, please heal Paul. God, you know, he, he loves you so much. he heal him so much. And God be saying, I hear you, but you know, I told him how much he'd suffer for my name's sake, and I've allowed him to have these infirmities because I've shared a lot of truth with him. And, you know, I wouldn't want him to fall away, so I want him to be strong. And so, you know, anyway, God would have his reasons why he wouldn't heal him as he didn't heal him throughout his life. Now, not everyone believes that Paul had a disability. Uh, but when you examine all the evidence that exists in Scripture, as we did logically, with a lot of evidence being from today's very own Scripture that we studied, it's hard to believe that his eyes were fully, wholly good. And I definitely don't think that they were. Uh, why make, though, the theme or entire point to this message mainly talking about Paul's disadvantage mainly talking about his disability number 1 it's biblical truth here i told you in the beginning of the message we here at gospel saving church stand on biblical truth we don't fudge things we don't you know we don't lie we don't tell fables i don't just tell stories just to make you feel good we study biblical truth and the biblical truth here is that unfortunately, God allowed Paul to suffer a lot for his name's sake. And one of those ways in which he allowed him to suffer was in the fact that he didn't, give him his, he didn't heal his eyes. Which is ironic because really, Paul, I mean, we have reports in the scriptures of Paul praying and laying hands on people and sending handkerchiefs and people were healed of like supernaturally terrible, awful, horrible, terrible, terrible, terrible diseases. Yet, for Paul, God wouldn't heal him in, in these ways that he talked about. I'm going to boast in my infirmities and I'd pluck out my own. You'd pluck out your own eyes and give them to me because he knew his eyes were bad. OK, so that's why he preached the gospel to him because of his infirmities. So it's biblical truth and we have to accept, uh, accept biblical truth even when it's hard, even when it's not the easy biblical truths, the ones that so many churches only want to talk about the easy things. That's number one reason why it was good that we brought this up today. It was good that we talked about this today. But number two, uh, this is the other reason why it's good that we talked about it. This is what God showed me as to why he wanted me to talk about this, this week, because I really wasn't intending on this message being like this. As you know, last week I had a completely different title for this week's message. Uh, I believe it was for a good reason. What good reason could there be for me to talk about Paul's disability? Well, here's what I believe God showed me. I believe that there's someone out there in my audience that has some kind of disability or some kind of disadvantage in their physical body. I believe that there is. I believe that somebody's going to listen to this message from either today until Christ comes back and they're going to be in Paul's shoes. God's, they've been praying to God for a miracle for years and years and years and years and God won't heal them. And yet here they are and they, they sit there and God wanted you to know You are not worthless to serve him. You're not. And in fact, he can absolutely use you in his work in a mighty way if, that's a big if, you will just step out in faith like Paul did, despite your disability or your disadvantage, just like the apostle Paul did. As I've already talked about, Paul was not an overly impressive man of God in stature or physical appearance. His physical appearance was weak. He went through a lot. He went through 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28. Partially here, I believe, while he was in this partially blinded state. Verse 23 of 2 Corinthians 11 says this. There, minister of Christ, I speak as a fool. I am more. And labors more abundant. I, I've served God way more than any of them that are talking bad about me. In stripes Above measure, that would be in his the way that they uh, they they beat him with whips, in, in prisons more frequently. He went to prison more than anybody else, in deaths often, which means that God actually allowed him to die multiple times, but then brought him back to life because it wasn't his time to go. Uh, in deaths often, verse twenty-four, for the Jews from the Jews, he says five times I receive forty stripes minus one. We talked about this a week ago when they were going to give paul these lashings uh, they were these bamboo sticks that they'd tie them up and then they'd hit him with these bamboo sticks and these bamboo sticks would leave they would slice the skin and and hit the skin so hard that if they didn't slice they would leave these welts and paul says here that five times the jews beat him with 40 stripes minus one the one was grace <laughs> like that, yeah, that that really mattered verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've been in the deep, and journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils... In the sea, in perils amongst false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold, in nakedness, besides these other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Now you can't sit there and tell me that God allowed him to go through all of those things, then he speaks about his infirmities that he had, and how he would boast in his infirmities, and not rather in, his, in himself at all. And you can't tell me that after you read that, you'd believe, with what he said of himself, that he was a perfectly whole, strong-looking, mighty man like John Bunyan. No. Paul was a weak, kind of beggarly, again, partially blind, feeble-looking fellow, Now, that doesn't mean he wasn't a powerful man for God. Yet, I want you to think about this. You who may be listening to me out there who has some infirmities too. Some problems. Some disabilities. Through all that Paul went through and the marks that he received in his flesh from the evil things that people did to him, despite his disability of being partially blind along with those things, God used him more for his kingdom more than all the other apostles put together. God used him to write over half of the New Testament. There are 27 books in the New Testament total. Paul wrote 14 by his own hand, despite his partial blindness. He wrote 14. Now think of this. He was the principal character in the 15th, the book of Acts. He was practically the principal character in half or more of the book. So I kinda, I'd say he was principal authority or principal man in 14 and a half out of 27 books. New Testament books that comes out to something like 55% of one New Testament all from one guy. That's more than even were written about Jesus Christ. Well, what we're written about Jesus Christ were only four. Peter only had a few. John only had like three or four or five. Paul, 14 and a half. God using, by the way the way God allowed Paul to interpret his words from Jesus Christ and the Gospels and what he'd learned from the other disciples, God used Paul's books to shape Christianity more than any other apostle or disciple of Christ, period, the end. Because of his writings... That's why Christianity is the way it is. That's why we have the structure that we have. That's why we know that we're supposed to be in church. We're not just supposed to be having fellowships. We're supposed to have an authority, a a man that leads us. People we're, were allowed to pay the pastors. Why we have all the doctrines that we have of Christianity. We have all of those because of Paul's teachings on what Christ Jesus taught him and what he learned from the other apostles and the other disciples. Again, God used him more for the Christian faith than any other apostle, period, the end. And he went on to travel more to more places in the, un, uh, in the known world than, and, and plant more churches and preach the gospel than any other apostle did also. He served God. Despite his disabilities, despite his disadvantages, despite the marks in his flesh, he still served God and loved God more than all of the others. And catch this, I got a little bit of new revelation this week. I'm sure it's not new revelation, it's new revelation to me. I'm sure the men of God have had this kind of revelation. But I want you to think about this. How many infirmities, or how many uh, marks in the flesh, or how many partially blind eyes did any of the other apostles have? (laughs) Well, seems to be, I've, I've read the New Testament probably about 25, 30 times. I can't remember even one. Not even one other apostle had any kind of affliction or disability or disadvantage at all. Not one, especially, of Christ's original 11 apostles had anything. And Paul had all of the garbage that he talked about, including what we saw today, a partial blindness, that was a definite disadvantage and disability, and he did more than them all. What's the lie today, ladies and gentlemen? The lie today and the lie forever from the devil is, oh, well, you've got a bad this or oh, you've got a bad, you've got a this disability. You can't go out and do all those things. All those things are meant to do for the people that are whole, the people that can walk and talk and they got good arms and good legs and good backs and they're they're whole. Well, that's hogwash. God used Paul more than all the other apostles that were normal. <laughs> and they had no infirmities. And they had no partial blindness. And God used Paul more. So don't let the devil lie to you anymore. You are out there that may be listening to me that have a disability. that have a disadvantage. God can use you more than he even he'd use any whole person. Any Maybe you're in a wheelchair. God can use you more. I walk. I've never been in a wheelchair. God can use you more than he can me if you'll just step out in faith like Paul did. Now, that was probably the main reason why God wanted me to write this message. This, this message is really not one that was within my normal. Like It completely took me off guard. I had it going into this week. I had a completely different path in a completely different way to go for this message. And, and as I got into it, God was speaking to me and, and showing me. And, and I, you know, I got I to gotta tell you what God tells me to tell you. I can't just tell you what I want to tell you. I got to tell you what God wants me to tell you. So today, if God's speaking to you and you're disabled or you have a disadvantage and you're kind of like Paul, a lot of marks in your flesh, a lot of problems, you're in a wheelchair, you're bedridden, whatever, step out in faith And get busy serving God any way you can and let him use you in mighty ways just like he did Paul. Because he can and he will. He's just waiting on you. If you realize today, maybe you realize today, wow, you know, I've been listening to messages. You know, I've been seeking God a little bit. You know, and I know I'm not right with God. Then the message for you, of course, is God wants you to seek him in his word. And he wants you to seek him by asking him who he is in prayer. Because he wants you to come to be born again. And he wants to have a personal relationship with you. And he wants to use you. Just like he has me. Just like he has Paul. Just like he did all the apostles. Just like he has all the men of God. right Up until this day, he wants to use you, but he has to save you first. And if that's you, please get going on that journey. He's waiting for you to respond. Open your Bibles. Get reading the New Testament. Start praying, talking to Jesus Christ, and ask him to reveal himself to you personally and ask him to make you born again. Seek his face. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for this message. Thank you, Lord God, that I know that you had this message, maybe even if it was just for one person that will ever listen to this message that's struggling with their disability, struggling with their partial blindness, struggling with their bound wheelchair boundness, struggling with their illnesses that they've had and that won't go away even though they spent years praying for them. Lord God, I pray that you would speak to them today, right now, even more, and say, get going. Look at Paul i used him he was the most productive apostle at all all he had (laughs) tell him lord because you showed me all he had was his desire to serve you he didn't walk into a room and people went whoa look at that guy no lord he walked into a room and people were like who is that that guy make him sit in the back huh he's he's a And then when he was like, I'm the Apostle Paul, and I've, whoa, people were blown away (laughs) because his bodily appearance was nothing to be admired. But Lord, please get them moving. Speak to them even more and show them that you're not done with them, Lord. You have lots of work for them to do if they'll just step out in faith for you and serve you with just their desire and their willingness. Thank you, Lord God. We love you and we praise you and ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.